0: You know the testimony of that song is one of the most fundamental things we teach our children. We learn from an early age to pray that God is, help me out, great and God is good. The theological significance of the fact that we serve a great God who is sovereign over all and a good God who loves us when we put those things together begin to carry us through difficult times. I think that's why it's significant for us to sing a song like that over and over again. To remind ourselves of the goodness of God. I want to invite your attention this morning to Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32. And as you're turning there, we want to set the stage for what is going on in the life of the people of God. For those of you that are joining us more recently, maybe today's your first time or you've not been here in in some time. Uh, In 2019, we're studying through the Bible chronologically, and we've walked through the unfolding story of the people of God. We have looked together at God's people now going into exile. They've been carried away because of their sins, and God raised up prophets like this man Jeremiah to tell the people some things they needed to hear. But there's an interesting twist that happens here in Jeremiah 32 that you and I need to see. Let me ask you a question. Hopefully you found Jeremiah 32 by now. We'll read our text in a moment. But let me ask you, has your, te- your faith ever been tested? Ha- has your faith ever been tested? I mean, have you ever struggled through a difficult time? Have you ever walked through maybe a season or even just a, a moment where you knew that you were in your heart and in your head that God is good and God is great, but you doubted and you struggled and you wrestled with your faith. I want you to hear this, church family. Sometimes God does test our faith. He tests us just like he tested others all throughout Scripture. He tested his own children in the wilderness to see, it says in Deuteronomy, to see what was in their hearts. I think it's important for us to know if our faith is weak, we won't know it if life is smooth. If things are, are relatively easy, we won't have an understanding of our faith being weak if we're not challenged somehow. But when hard times come, they begin to show us what weak faith is like. And, and weak faith, when it's revealed to be what it actually is, you need to hear this, church family. It's shallow and unable to help us through difficulty. So if you're going through a life of relative ease and your faith has not been tested and you have a head knowledge that God is good and He is great, but you've never leaned on His goodness or His greatness, then maybe this morning you've come to the right place. Because we're going to see the anatomy of a man whose faith was put to the test. We're going to see something remarkable in the life of Jeremiah. These testings could be anything. They could be an unexpected illness. They could be a financial downturn. They could be a prodigal child or grandchild. They could be the loss of a job. They could be a relationship that goes sideways, maybe a business deal that goes sideways. But but somewhere in your life you had an expectation that was here and the reality that hit was here. And the conflict between expectation and reality caused you to come smack up against a test of your faith. You also need to hear this. God doesn't test our faith so that he'll know how strong we are. God tests our faith so that we will know how strong or not we are. And we'll only realize it when those times of testing come. If you think about this with me, the psalmist prayed that prayer that that we're afraid of at times. Lord, search me. Test me. Know my heart, know my anxious thoughts. That's a dangerous and scary prayer at times. Lord, put the searchlight on me. Now, none of us like to go through hard times. And I want to make sure you hear this. God isn't necessarily behind all of your hard times. That's a sermon for another day. Even if he allows difficulty to come into your life. But God can use them to show our weakness. And testing makes us spiritually stronger, or at least it should. If we'll turn it over to the Lord. In fact, the Bible says it this way in James. It says, Com- consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials so that you may be mature and complete. And that sets the stage for us this morning. So as we come to Jeremiah 32, here's the background. Jeremiah, the prophet, is in jail. The Babylonians are laying siege to the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And God had given him a message that is incredibly unpopular. He's been saying to the city, walking around Jerusalem, you might as well give up. Don't fight. God has ordained that they take over. God has ordained that they bring us into exile. God has ordained that they capture us. They are going to overthrow the city. They're going to carry us all away. But God has promised that one of these days, when the captivity is over, He will restore to us all of the land. He will restore to us every acre of it. God is going to allow them to overcome us, and then we'll be taken away. So he's saying, don't fight. Now, those are words of treason. I mean, that's absolutely against. It's very unpatriotic, if you will. He's going around saying there's no use in fighting because it's a losing battle. Why would you fight and get killed and not be alive later if you can just surrender now, and the promise is God will allow you later to live? In the height of the Cold War with the USSR and America, there was a a constant threat of nuclear attack. And and there were phrases that people came up with. There were were, uh, catchy slogans. One was, better red than dead. People said, you know, I would rather let them take over than us all be killed. And others put their foot down and said, no, better dead than red. We'll fight, but we will not give in. Well, I want you to see this. Jeremiah is preaching a message better read than dead, if you will. He's saying you give in to the Babylonians and you will live based on what God has said. Now, again, it goes against everything that we would understand and believe. We would want to rise up and fight. And God was saying through Jeremiah, that's not the case now. I do have plans for you. I have purposes, but you're going into captivity. So his message of give up, give in, got him landed in jail. And he's there in jail, and the background sort of helps us. So let's pick up in Jeremiah 32, verse 1. Let's read together the word of the Lord. The following message came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the tenth year of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah. This was also the eighteenth year of the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. Jerusalem was then under siege from the Babylonian army. And Jeremiah was imprisoned in the courtyard of the guard in the royal palace. King Zedekiah had put him there asking why he kept giving this prophecy. This is what the Lord says. I am about to hand this city over to the king of Babylon and he will take it. King Zedekiah will be captured by the Babylonians and taken to meet the king of Babylon face to face. He will take Zedekiah to Babylon and I will deal with him there, says the Lord. If you fight against the Babylonians, you will never succeed. Well, it's no wonder that the king threw him in jail. He's like, I don't want him poisoning the well. I don't want him walking through the streets of the city making other people so uncomfortable with such a message. So here's Jeremiah languishing in prison. Something unique happens. Look with me, if you will, in verse 6. At that time, the Lord sent me a message. He said, your cousin Hanamel, son of Shulam, Uh, Shalom, excuse me, will come and say to you, buy my field at Anathoth. By law, you have the right to buy it before it is offered to anyone else. Then, just as the Lord had said he would, my cousin Hanamel came and visited me in the prison. He said, please buy my field at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. By law, you have the right to buy it before it's offered to anyone else, so buy it for yourself. Then I knew the message I had heard was from the Lord. So I bought the field at Anathoth, paying Hanamel 17 pieces of silver for it. I signed and sealed the deed, purchased before witnesses, weighed out the silver, and paid him. Now we're going to stop right there in our text because that's enough for right now. but, But we'll read on. So an unusual event unfolds. And I want you to see this. He is in jail. He's been preaching this message that is very unpatriotic, very unpopular. Surrender to the Babylonians. And his cousin comes to meet him. Now, I want you to see three reasons why this whole visit's weird. It's strange. It's unique. Number one, it's a relative. And I want you to see why that would be such a big deal. I know that's not in your notes, but I just want to give you this thought. If he is one of your relatives, the last thing you want to do is be associated with him right? He's the black sheep of the family. He's that crazy uncle, okay? I know they're cousins, but he's the one that you dread seeing at the Thanksgiving table, right? If they're in this room, don't point at them right now, okay? Just leave that alone. Thanksgiving's coming. You've got time to work it out. But if his cousin comes to see him, you would not want anybody to associate you with Jeremiah. Jeremiah is a treasonous idiot in their mind. He is a fool. He is preaching this message. Give up Let Babylon come in and take our city, desecrate our temple, take all of the treasury from the temple. No way. We want to fight. And Jeremiah said, you're losing that battle every single time. We will be taken captive because God has ordained it. But his cousin comes to see him. That's kind of strange. The second thing that makes this kind of unique is the reason for, the purpose for The visit. He wants to sell him a piece of property. He has a farm he wants to sell. And he comes to Jeremiah and he says, have I got a deal for you? Now, I don't know a whole lot about real estate, but I'm just thinking if I had a farm to sell, if I'm looking for a prospect to buy it, I'm probably not going to go down to the county jail and go down there and say, you know what? I've got a great deal for you. You ought to come look at it. Well, you can't look at it. You're in here. Sorry about that. But you ought to buy it. It's a steal. It's kind of a crazy story if you think of it. His cousin comes to him. He has the right of refusal, but he also has the first rights on it. Why? Because he's a family member. And God had apportioned out the land so they would keep it in the family. So he's given him an opportunity to redeem it. We've talked about redemption and jubilee recently. So it's strange that a cousin would come knowing the position that Jeremiah's in. It's strange that he's coming to sell him a piece of property. But thirdly, I want you to see this. The property itself is pretty strange. It's in a place that Babylon already occupies. It's behind enemy lines. This is that proverbial oceanfront property in Arizona. Okay, It is a deal too good to be true. Listen, Jeremiah, have I got a deal for you. You need to buy this property. Well, where is it? It's in Anathoth. Well, aren't the Babylonians in, Well, they're close by. They're sort of around. No, they've taken over. They own it. It is behind enemy lines. Now, you probably have already started seeing where this is going. Why would such a proposition be made? Why would we come to this place of this visit from a relative? Why would God set up this little deal? Why would he make this arrangement? Because we know that God told him that. He's there in prison. The word of the Lord came to him in verse 6, and he said, Your cousin's going to come. And ultimately, I want you to buy it. Look at verse 8 with me, if you will. Then just as the Lord said he would, my cousin Hanamel came and visited me in prison. He said, please buy my field at Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. By law, you have the right to buy it before it's offered to anyone else, so buy it for yourself. Then I knew that the message I had heard was from the Lord. I want you to underline a few words there. This is powerful stuff. He says, then I knew. This word is of the Lord. So I bought the farm. Then I knew. Jeremiah didn't have any use for this farm. He's in jail. He he has been captured by a king who is about to be captured. He has proclaimed, this king that has captured me is about to be captured by the Babylonians. Nebuchadnezzar's taken over. I don't have any reason to buy a farm. I'm stuck in jail. I'm probably going to be carried off. In fact, he said that. They're going to come and take all of us. Why would he buy this farm, especially a farm that's behind enemy lines? It's in enemy enemy territory. He did so out of obedience. Why? Because God told him to do it. So what's this whole thing about? I want to lead you to four quick thoughts this morning. God's going to deliver you into the hands of the Babylonians. That's the first half of his sermon. The second half, well, and why? You're going to be carried off because of your sins. But the second half is God will restore There's a message of hope. The whole sermon, it doesn't look very hopeful at the beginning, but there's expectation. God's going to allow you to return. He's going to restore the land. He's going to give it back. Even the farm that's on the occupied territory, every square inch of real estate that God gave to your forefathers will come back after the captivity has taken place. I want you to see four things. The first one is what I would call the risk of faith the risk of faith. God's holding up a mirror to Jeremiah and to you and saying, do you really believe? Do you really believe? Not just God can do something, but that God will do something. If you really believe this message that has landed you in jail, that God's going to give the land back, Jeremiah, put your money where your mouth is. Back up your pulpit with your pocketbook. Don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. If you really trust God, then act on it. Because if you believe this land's coming back and I'm selling it to you for a good deal, then you'll buy it and wait it out because you believe that. If you don't believe it, you just need to shut up. That's why I titled the sermon, Put Up or Shut Up a tested faith. Now I know there are going to be parents that are going to probably write me letters later for saying very ugly word just then. I'm sorry. We didn't teach our kids to say that. Be quiet. Put up or be quiet. Can I say it that way? But Jeremiah had to do one of two things. He had to either buy the farm or change his message. There's the risk of faith. Do you really believe? And my question to you is, have you ever gotten to that place where you trusted the Lord in such a way that you put yourself out there? Do you really believe? Are you willing to trust the Lord? Jeremiah won't have any choice. He thought because he knew that Jeremiah had been preaching God's word, that one of these days everything's coming back, that he would buy it. Righteousness is going to reign yet again. God will restore everything to his people. You buy the farm. Jeremiah could have said, you're crazy. The Babylonians are about to take over. Don't you know that? But that's not what you've preached, Jeremiah. You've preached that they'll take over, but it's going to come back. You've been preaching and telling us the future belongs to God and God's people, and He's going to restore it. So if you refuse to believe this, if you refuse to buy it, if you refuse to act on it, then you need to just stop preaching. Hanamel was saying, put your money where your mouth is. What's happening here is Jeremiah is a light in the middle of darkness. And when light shines in unbelievable darkness, listen to these words, regardless how dim and dark the present looks, the future belongs to God and to God's people. And he has promised that one of these days all will be made right and all inequities will be smoothed out and that the land will be restored. And that was Jeremiah's faith. And God comes to Jeremiah and he says to him, your cousin's coming, he's going to make this offer, I want you to follow through. Church family, what about us? What about you and me? You need to write this down somewhere. God eventually must test the reality of your faith. God will test the reality of your faith. Again, an untested faith is absolutely worthless. If it's only mental ascent and your life is easy and you have never been placed in an environment, a crucible where you had to trust the Lord. What good is that? And so don't despise the day of testing. Trust the Lord in it. Let's look at this remarkable act. Again, this is the anatomy of trust. I want you to see some things that hopefully will bring freedom to you because he didn't trust perfectly, but he trusted in obedience. So the beginning of faith came from the Word of God. That's for all of us. That's why our church family is reading the Bible this year. We're reading the book because I want our church to be filled with people of faith. People who trust God at his word. And as you read it, as you fill your mind and your heart with it, it begins to direct your path. I I shared this in our Sunday school class. Mike Palmer on Tuesday night absolutely frustrated me to no end. Talking about the aroma of Christ, and, and he said it not in those terms. It was a little more loose. He said, Hardy Street, don't be jerks. I don't know if you remember that, but he said, when you go to different places, don't be jerks. And I waited at Lowe's at the customer service desk on Friday for 37 minutes. But who's counting? And I was about to lose my mind. Two things were ringing out. Mike Palmer's sermon from Tuesday and the fact that I had a Hardy Street Baptist shirt on. I almost asked one of the associates what all the duct tape is on so I can cover this up because I'm about to blow my top waiting on something. And and in a moment of hopefully God-inspired strength, I didn't blow my top. I was kind to a person who had just been abused in customer service world yelled at, fussed about, complained to, and they had nothing to do with the bigger problems. And it was amazing because 10, 15 minutes, well, okay, an hour later, we're talking about Hardy Street, and we're talking about Jesus, and I was like, there it is. If our faith is untested and everything's smooth, then when we... When when we're tested in even small ways, when they make you pull up to the yellow line at McDonald's and you act in an ungodly way because, I mean, that's not even faith. It doesn't take faith. It just takes a little patience. But patience comes from trusting the Lord. And and my point there is this. When you find yourself with untested faith, you, you just don't know what's going to happen when real pressure comes. And my encouragement to you is don't despise the day of testing. Trust the Lord. Jeremiah bought the field, knowing that his sermon was there. there let me see this. That it starts with the Word of God. God's Word Tuesday night helped reign in my thoughts. Number two, I want you to see the relief of God's Word. The relief of God's Word. In other words, this. If, if a person is going to live in confidence and faith, there must be a sensitivity to the voice of God. You, you need to get to the place where you can hear the voice of God from his word, from those simple promptings, that intuition. God will speak to your heart. And God spoke to hear Jeremiah's heart. And he said, I knew this was from the Lord. I believe that faith begins with impressions of the heart, but it's always confirmed. I, I don't know about you. I wish God would make his communication a little louder at times. I wish God had my cell phone number and he would text me. I wish God in some way would write it across the sky. That he would say, this is the exact way to go. This is the decision to make. Walk in that. But there are times when a word just speaks to your heart. You can't explain it. You just knew it was of God. My encouragement is let God's word back it up. Don't go digging and looking for something. But as you systematically take in God's word, he'll speak to your heart. Does that make sense? You see, faith... Began with the Word of God. God had told him what to preach. And then God gave him confidence, even in the middle of a difficult place, to act in obedience and by the field. And then God's Word gave him relief because he said, this is what's going to happen. I want you to see this very, very pointedly. Faith is not a means of getting our will done in heaven. It is a means of getting God's will done here on earth. It's not a matter of trying to trust God So he'll let you out of hard situations. Jeremiah still weighed the silver. He let that silver go. Jeremiah now in jail is the proud owner of a deed that Baruch has. He seals it and puts it up and he still knows the Babylonians are coming. You may place your faith in God and God may confirm in you good and hope and future and all hell may break loose. Don't lose sight. Don't give up. That's the testing time of your faith. This is probably a good idea for some of our students to hear. As you're embarking in a new semester, as you're embarking in a new season of life, new students that are coming in, trust the Lord. That's why if somebody begins to pressure you in a decision right now, you need to know that that's not the way of God. You never find Jesus in a hurry or in a panic Or to act before you get a confirming impression. Wait on the Lord. Trust the Lord. Look at verse 9. And I bought the field. Which was at Anathoth from Hanamel. My uncle's son. Here he is. He acted upon it. He did something about it. And faith in the final analysis is obeying. So God speaks to our hearts. And then we trust him. Faith that is not... Worth investing in is not worth believing in. Let me say that again. Faith that's not worth investing in is not worth believing in. Are you invested in your faith? Is faith just something that you do once a week? Do you just come to church in a religious habit? If you were threatened with imprisonment, would you back up and say, you know, I don't think I'm going to preach that loudly. I'm not going to speak. If you were threatened with losing your job, If you were threatened with difficulty, you see, Jeremiah preached. And we know that he was the weeping prophet. It wasn't easy. He didn't just stand up and say, oh, life is all good. No, he is in prison. And now the the, the money that he has is being asked for. Somebody says, hey, I got a deal for you. I'll sell you this land. And on the surface, all of that seems crazy. But he knew God had spoken to him. And so the risk of faith is that you would trust in the relief of God's word. You know, I want to i want to tell you something. I I don't know that you can even really call it faith until it's put to the test. That's the only way you know it's the real article. I've never stolen a million dollars in my life, but I've never had the opportunity to. Don't look at me so spiritual. Some of you are looking at me. If the opportunity was given to you to steal a million dollars, and you knew nobody would find out, you wouldn't get caught. Now y'all are being super spiritual, you know. Somebody said, well, I'd have to pray about that maybe. I don't know. But sometimes you look at other people who commit certain sins and they have certain weaknesses and it's easy for us to be judgmental and it's easy for us to be condemning in our criticism. But I want to tell you something, that if you have not faced the same temptations they have, maybe you would do the exact same thing. And so we don't need to get on our high horse about that. All I'm saying this is if you never know yourself because you've never been tested, then you really don't know if you've got faith or not. We've got to continue on. I want you to see this. It's a good thing and it's a blessing for God to test your faith because that leads you to a place of dependence. You can just put this down, friend. Put it down. Sooner or later, God's going to put your faith to the test. Now, I want you to see something that may be encouraging. I guess misery does at times love company. I, I'm thankful that all the people in the Bible weren't perfect. I've said that many times before. I'm grateful because if they were, I could never relate. Oliver Cromwell was a British uh, politician and military leader. And one time they had commissioned a painting of him. And they painted him, and Oliver Cromwell had something that was kind of unique, he had several warts on his face, and the the artist that did the painting decided he would paint him with clear complexion. He thought that would be flattering, and this is where we get a phrase. You probably know where that phrase is going. Oliver Cromwell sent it back, and he said, no, 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 that's not me. I want you to paint me warts and all. Well, I want you to see Jeremiah warts and all. That's how God paints the saints of God. And I'm so thankful because we're going to see in Jeremiah's life a moment of weakness. He has bought the farm. I mean, he put his money where his mouth was. He backed up his pulpit with his pocketbook. He acted in faith on the Word of God. Look at verse 16. Then, after I had given the papers to Baruch, I prayed to the Lord. Jeremiah's all alone. He's 17 coins of silver lighter. He's got a deed to a piece of property he's not going to see for a while. And he's in a cold, dark, damp cell, perhaps, just sure that God has asked him to buy a farm. Look at verse 17. O sovereign Lord, That's a sigh, by the way. Some of your translations may say, ah, A-H. It's just ah, Lord God. Oh, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand. And powerful arm, nothing is too hard for you. It's a marvelous prayer, but let's look a little farther in verse 18 and following. You show your unfailing love to thousands, but you also bring the consequences of one generation's sin to the next. You're great and powerful God, the Lord of heaven's army. You have all wisdom and you do great and mighty miracles. You see, what he's doing is trying to convince himself of how great God is. Skip down to verse 24. See how the siege ramps have been built against the city walls. Through war, famine, disease, the city will be handed over to the Babylonians who will conquer it. Everything has happened just as you said. And yet, O sovereign Lord, you have told me to buy the field, paying good money for it before these witnesses, even though the city will soon be handed over. You know what this is? It's buyer's remorse. This is what I would call the rise of doubt. The rise of doubt. Stephanie and I, in a weak moment, years ago, bought a car. I got up the next morning. It ate at me all night long. We really weren't at a place where we needed to buy a car. We didn't need a car payment at that point. And we kind of struggled through it. And I was drinking my coffee, and my coffee tasted bitter. And you know that my soul was stirred if I was not enjoying a cup of coffee. We looked out at that new car out in the driveway, and we took it back to the dealership that day. We had buyer's remorse. That's what Jeremiah's having. Oh, Lord, you are good. You are great. You are powerful. You are awesome. You can do all things. You have led our people. You have protected us. You've watched over us. But God, did did you see the Babylonians? They're coming. They're on the way. They're about to get us. They have built siege ramps. They're going to run up over the walls, and they're going to take us, and I've Just gave my silver to Hanamel. He's scratching his head in a moment of doubt. I'm thankful that this is there because I want you to see that real faith is not always without doubt. You don't have to trust perfectly, but you have to obey. And when your faith is tested, moments of doubt are, are not those things. Somehow we get the idea that these saints were super saints about to sprout wings and stand around waiting for a vacancy in the Trinity. You know, if one of them slips up, I'll take their place. That's not who they were. They were ordinary men and ordinary women. Jeremiah sitting in jail thinking, What have I done? Let me ask you this Have you ever made a commitment to obey God and then later on had second thoughts? Some of you do that every time your name rolls back around on the nursery roll, right? You're like, I will keep those babies. And you go, oh, Lord, what have I done? But we do it with more serious matters, too. We step out in faith and then struggle. One one of my favorite stories of that, and we don't have lots of time, but Peter is imprisoned, and they're in the house of Mary, and they're praying. and, And Peter gets out of jail And God just supernaturally lets him out, and he comes to the house, and he knocks on the door, and a servant girl goes there, and she says, as she looks in, who is it? And he says, Peter, and she runs back into the prayer meeting, and they say, well, who is it? She says, Peter's out there. And they're like, why don't you let him in? There's this funny sense that they prayed for something, but they really didn't believe God was going to do it. In your life and in mine, sometimes we get to that place. Well, I I want us to begin to kind of draw this in by thinking about doubt. Two thoughts about doubt. When you have doubts, let me make two suggestions. One, I want you to say that doubt is contagious. It's a pretty good thing to keep to yourself. When you doubt, I think it's significant that Jeremiah waited till Hanamel and Baruch left before he showed doubt. He had preached this message with such authority that it landed him in jail, and he waited till they left and he turned to the Lord. It's contagious. I, I just want you to see that, that people like to spout and vent their unbelief. That's almost a popular thing these days. But it's good for us. Not to let it all hang out. Not to air all of our dirty laundry on social media and otherwise. But turn to the Lord. It's contagious, but I want you to see this. It's curable. It's curable. Take it to the Lord. When you find yourself doubting, don't beat yourself up and don't let the enemy beat you up. Trust him and just simply say, that's a normal part of the flesh that I live in. I live in this flesh suit. And Jeremiah doubted, but he didn't do it publicly. He got away with the Lord and cried out to the Lord, O oh, sovereign Lord, these are the things that you've done. This is what you can do. This is what you have done. It's curable. Now I want you to see the final thought. I'll call this the reassurance of God. The reassurance of God. Look at verse 26. Then this message came to Jeremiah from the Lord. I am the Lord, the God of all peoples of the world. Is anything too hard for me? I love this picture because it sounds pretty familiar. Just a few verses before, that's the question that Jeremiah asked. Lord, is anything too difficult for you? And God says, no, pointedly, nothing is too hard for me. When he had come to God and expressed to God the uncertainty in his heart, then the word of the Lord came and gave him assurance. Some of you can testify to that today. Some of you have been in a weak moment of doubt, and God's word spoke to your heart, and you went, there it is. Thank you, Lord, for your reassurance, the reassurance of the word of God. Here's what I would tell you. I'll put this in your notes. Don't doubt in the dark what God has told you in the light. That is why it's so vitally important for you to walk straight forward in the Word of God day by day so that when testing comes, you can stand with faith. There may be weak moments of doubt, but you take them to the Lord, and He will reconfirm what He had already told you, what He's already said for you to do. I I don't know who this message is for today. You know, Mike Palmer ended our sermon series on Wednesday for our revival services by asking a simple question. So what? Now what? We've had these great services of revival. Our hearts have been stirred towards submitting to God. So today I just wanna, I want you to hear this. Revival may not look like unicorns and sprinkles on your ice cream. Revival may look like a challenging difficulty. Revival may not look like rainbows and lollipops. Revival may look like for us, Difficult days of testing, but when the test comes, God is still good, and God is still great, and God's Word still endures. And so for all of us today, I just wanted to give you a healthy reminder. We're walking through this place. This is where we were going to land today already, and I'm thankful because God knew somebody today needed this. I can tell you personally, I needed it. I needed to see the example of a man who would trust God obediently. Not just believing with his head God can, but trusting with his life God will. Are you willing to trust God with your life? A bigger question, are you willing to trust yourself for your eternity? The Bible says that God has provided a means for us to enter into heaven, to have eternal life, and that is through Jesus Christ. There are two ways to live. One of the things that we are learning through our study as we've walked through Scripture is this. You can live God's way, or you can do it your way. But you've got to make a choice. So if you're not walking God's way, and you don't have assurance, and you find yourself struggling Maybe just maybe today is the day of your appointed homecoming, and you need to trust Jesus Christ. We're going to have our encouragers here at the front. Our musicians are coming forward right now. In a moment, I'm going to pray. And when I finish that prayer, even before the first note is played, I want to encourage you to step out from where you are. If the need of your life is to be saved, trust Jesus Christ. You come and take one of these prayer partners, one of our staff members or others, by the hand, and just share with them your heart. Maybe there's some other need that you have. They would love to pray with you and encourage you today. Let's all stand together and I'm praying and then you're responding. Father in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this example. We pray that we would walk it out today. I pray that people would respond in obedience and when testing times come, we would recognize the strength of our faith and it's not about our Ability to muster faith, it's about us placing our faith in the right place. It's about the object of our faith, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his ability, not ours. We love you, Lord. I pray your people would respond in Jesus' name. Amen.